Hello, and welcome back to part two of our three-part series on phishing. Juan and I will discuss in part two the cost of a data breach, how to spot phishing emails, strong passwords, and much more. So Juan, I know a lot of people are probably sitting there and they're wondering, you know, like, why me? You know, what is the value of my information? And do you have any sort of numbers in the back of your head on what information's worth? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so let's say the your bank account got hacked, your social security number got hacked, you can go into the dark web and, you know, people can sell that, those accounts for, I don't know, probably $30, $50. It might change the prices. Depends on, you know, uh, who is the the user that you are, the, that you got the credentials, or if it's just one, or if it's multiple people that they got credentials from. So definitely it's a lot of a lot of money that you can get uh selling bank accounts social security numbers so definitely people need to pay attention because it's a lot of people that they they're gonna they're gonna buy your bank account your username your password and they're gonna go into the dark web and they can make the transaction and they can do damage on your on your on your bank account yeah absolutely well, and I know from the medical side, that's kind of the, the area that I probably have a little bit more experience in. I mean, it is incredible what they'll sell on the dark web. I mean, we've seen medical records, social security numbers, passports, driver's licenses, um, mm -hmm. you know, just about anything you can think of. And uh, when I started kind of digging into this about a year or two ago, it was when there was a major data breach. And I kept on wondering, you know, like, why are people so interested in healthcare records? And one of the things that I started to realize is that, you know, your healthcare record, we may have mislabeled that actually as healthcare information. We probably should have called it healthcare intelligence. I mean, if you to, if you're to think about it just for a few moments, right, your medical record contains all parts of your identity. So age, date of birth, um, possibly social security number, your first name, your last name, your middle name. Uh, you're talking like credit card numbers, debit card numbers, FSA numbers, your insurance information. And, you know, all that actually comes back together in the dark web as something that can actually be pulled in and then actually divvied out and then sold for different mm -hmm. values. And one of the interesting things is, is that the value of each individual item can kind of range from anywhere from, you know, a few cents to, you know, several hundred dollars, depending on what the item mm -hmm. is. And, um, yes. you know, if, if anyone's really interested, I think it's Experian actually has broken down some of the values of like passports and credit cards online, which I found incredibly interesting. So that's part of the reason why a lot of people are being hacked. And that's why you're being targeted. So Juan, that kind of leaves me with like the next question, which is what is the cost of a data breach? The worst case scenario is that a business, they can just lose all the business reputation. That's one of the two big ones. Because um, if you, let's say that your data gets encrypted, you cannot keep running your data. You cannot keep running your business without your data until you figure it out from your backups until you figure it out what's going on until you tell the author the police the fbi everyone should know what's going on once you do that you have to recover that data uh, i will i would recommend not to pay any ransomware 
because those guys, you don't know who they are and I will trust them. But yeah, definitely if, if your, your data gets encrypted or if your company gets into a data breach, two big things could happen. Your business, it's going to be all bad. It's going to get down and your reputation, definitely it's going to be bad with all your customers. So I think it's a good idea to have some good IT department. Uh, I think it's a good idea to have uh, some budget for software or for some insurance that they can help you to figure it out if you get into a data breach. Hmm. Well, and I know from our side, a data breach could have like varying degrees of of what is involved. And so that could include just a small amount of data. It could include a large amount of data. But I guess one of the big things for people to understand is that depending on the severity of the data breach itself, that could actually change the cost of what each record will cost you for the data breach itself. Just a few numbers that we usually see. Um, you can kind of sometimes see a range of, you know, less than $100, for instance, for like a, a data breach that has very minimal amount of information um, that is lost or stolen or over $400 for data breaches where there's a significant amount of data that has been exfiltrated across the internet and essentially dumped into the dark web. I guess one of the big things for a lot of individuals to understand is that you have to kind of understand the amount of records that you have and then how your information is being protected and stored to kind of gauge how much money you would need for cyber insurance to cover you in the event that your business is hacked. So there's a there's just a couple of calculations um, that I would suggest. Uh, according to the Panam Institute, uh, the average cost of a data breach in 2019 was right around $380. If you wanted to try to understand what your exposure is, one of the best things you could do is take the amount of records you have and multiply that number by $380. And that should give you kind of a rough estimate of how much a data breach could cost you. Since the range is so wide between, you know, less than $100 to over $400, I always tell everybody, you know, kind of take maybe a middle number of like 200 and then maybe give you a better idea of what the data breach could cost. But a lot of this is just guessing. Like no one really knows sometimes what information is going to be breached or how it's going to be breached. Can you think of anything from a, a risk management side, you know, any type of advice you could give us on maybe how to protect ourselves or be more aware of phishing? Yes. First thing that you have to do is train your people, train your users, train people that they are touching computers, that they are handing, uh, that they are working with uh, records because hackers are looking for the weakest point and the weakest point is people. Make sure that they have a pretty good training, make sure that everyone knows what to do in case if something happens. For example, a data breach, or if somebody click into a link, uh, I think it's good to have also a policy that kind of follows what to do when something like that happens. Also, I think it's a good idea to kind of think ahead and have a plan for the future. Now that we are working from home uh, and more people are getting attacked, I, I think physicians and small businesses, they need to think that the business model is going to change so much that a lot of people are going to keep working from home. So they need to figure out how they're going to spend a lot of money on protect their assets. Uh, they're going to spend more money on 
new equipment? Are you going to spend more money on cyber insurance? So you have to kind of think about all those things because like I said, right now with this pandemic is going to change all the business model and you have to be aware of those little things. So that way later on the work or the environment, it gets easier for you uh, or at least your risk is going to get low. Perfect. And I know from, from our side, you know, there's some other things to kind of look at as well. So let's say you get a email and an email comes in and you don't really have a package from you know, one of your major uh, retailers or mail service. One of the things you can do is, is you don't have to click on those links. They usually tell you inside the email, you know, here's your tracking number. So if you want, um, one of the best ways to do it so you don't have to sit down and do that cross-reference back and forth between you know, how much of this website is the actual official website and or is this some sort of fake website that's been made? Um, you can always go to the major website, you know, like let's say it's Amazon, um, it could be like DHL, UPS, and those are all major websites that you can click on and it usually tells you in the search, you know, this is an official website. You can click in there and then go to the tracking number and then punch your tracking number in. That way you can actually see where your orders are without having to necessarily click on the link. And then there's a lot of other things too that I always think of. Like for instance, be very cognizant of what the different letters look like. Um, for instance, oh, yeah. O's and zeros, and those look really close if you were to look at them side by side. And it's the same thing with like capital L's and lowercase L's. The lowercase L looks the same as an uppercase I if you were to kind of stare at those together. You know, the last thing that I always think of is uh, to, to kind of double check everything before you move on. Uh, a lot of us are super guilty of skimming. One of the major techniques that a lot of your phishing emails will use is they'll either jump in and they'll use very relaxed language, which seems to cause people to click on those links because they feel, I think, more safe with someone who's using relaxed language. And the other thing is, is that there's sometimes a lot of misspellings in mm -hmm. phishing emails. So they're not completely sophisticated where they look 100% professional. You're going to see a degree of like really professional and then like really relaxed, like casual. And then the other thing is, is those emails, a lot of the times they'll drop off like vowels. So like your A-E-I-O-U's. You're going to see a lot of those kind of dropped off of the emails, um, especially in the email address itself. And that's because the human mind is actually pretty notorious for actually skipping over those letters. So that's where the social engineering component of phishing attacks becomes really interesting from a psychological perspective. But it's really important for individuals to understand, you know, you need to look at that. Yes. And also, I just want to add a comment in there The People need to be aware in their passwords. They have to use a password that is fairly hard for hackers to hack it. Because I've seen passwords like, for example, summer 2020 or spring 2020. So hackers, they have the tools that they can just make some specifications. Please use uh, words from the American Dictionary. And then they're going to find a lot of passwords. And if they're just, you know, if, if you have one of those passwords that they're really easy, definitely you are going to get hacked. So people need to, they need to be aware to make 
like a harder passwords. I know that it's painful. I know that sometimes you have multiple passwords, but I think it's better to do that and suffer a little bit than be sorry later on. You know what I mean, Anthony? Oh, absolutely. Well, and I guess one of the other things for our listeners to know is you can't necessarily anchor yourself to um, just thinking that it's going to be just an American dictionary word. Uh, I mean, I have seen rainbow tables for German, Indian, uh, English. Like you're saying, what it is is they go in and they take all the words from the English dictionary, they drop it into this giant table, and then it just crunches through all those um, specific words. And then when it's done, it may move on to a new language. It's one of those components, I guess, that comes to the social engineering part, which is if I see somebody and maybe they're Spanish, um, I may start my uh, you know, brute force attack with maybe Spanish words in the Spanish dictionary first, uh, because I may think that that individual may use those words first, and then I may go to the next language that I think they're using. So it's just kind of an interesting component of social engineering. So passwords, definitely length and complexity, special characters are always really good to add in yeah. as well. And we actually did an article about this not too long ago about passwords. So you could start off with the word password, but you could walk letters up and down your keyboard. And that may be a way of breaking up the word password so that P-A-S-S for pass, you could always do, you know, like a capital P and then the at sign and the dollar sign, a dollar sign, and then word and then exclamation and then, you know, maybe the year 2020 or 2022 or something like that. And the next time you have to change your password, you can change something. So maybe instead of it being password 2020, maybe now you walk the at sign up and you may change that to an exclamation point. And now you no longer have a word that's used in the English dictionary. So it just makes it that much harder for those programs to try to hack through that. Yeah. Thank you for listening to part two of our three-part series on phishing. In our third and final episode, Juan and I will discuss additional ways to protect yourself from a phishing scheme. We look forward to you joining us at that time. If you are a policyholder, please feel free to contact us with any questions by calling 1-800-580-8658 or check out our resources at tmlt.org and clicking on our resource hub. Thank you.